You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. One more week on the Lord's Prayer, so you can go to, there are Bibles under the chairs if you don't have a copy of Scripture of your own. In the brown Bibles, it's page 811, the reddish, kind of hot dog colored Bibles. You'll never see them the same again. <laughs> page 996. And we're going to get right after it and, uh, and hopefully move fairly briskly through this prayer and then spend some time actually praying it. Because this prayer that Jesus gives to us, I think can be dissected and we will dissect it to some extent, but I think it's, it's meant to be understood as it's prayed. Uh, there's certain things that you can learn by studying them. There's certain things that you learn by doing them, practicing them. And so we will study this for uh, a few minutes together for sure, phrase by phrase, uh, but also I think we'll learn a lot by praying it together. And so we'll pray through it phrase by phrase towards the end as well. Uh, I want to start with just a, a few statements here. First, Jesus tells us that there is a prayer that we most need to pray. Okay, so the prayer that you most need to pray, just think of that. And then there's also the prayer that God is most delighted to answer, the kind that is according to His will. And I think what Jesus is doing here is that those two prayers are actually the same prayer, the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. This is that prayer. Jesus is telling us this is what you need to pray, and good news, what you most need is what God is most delighted to give. So Jesus is doing a couple of things when he's doing this, is that he's telling us what we need to be praying, and then also the kind of prayer that God is delighted to pray. And so he brings us into conformity to what we most need and what he most desires, what he wants to do. So that's really going to be the basic theme. That's basically the whole sermon here on one slide, is that the prayer that we most need to pray is also the prayer God is most delighted to answer. It is this pray, prayer, and so therefore we should pray it and pray like it. So let me just read it, starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, the second half of verse 8. He tells them that they don't need to be long-winded in their prayers. They don't need to pray like pagans. They don't need to pray like the Gentiles, heaping up phrases as if their God is stingy and hard of hearing and hard-hearted. But they actually, the reason why you can come to God briefly and succinctly is this. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the prayer you most need to pray is the prayer He's about to give you. And your Father knows and is inclined to answer you. That's the kind of Father that you have. And so, in light of that, pray then like this. Since your Father knows what you need, this is what you need, and this is what He's inclined to give you because He's your Father, then this is how you should pray. You should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So again, Jesus is revealing to us what we need to be praying, and he's also revealing what the Father knows. So we get God's omniscient attentiveness and sufficiency. God can be brought, you can bring any need to God, and he is sufficient to meet that need. And he is omnisciently attentive like a father. He's paying attention. At the same time, he's reminding us that we are needy creatures, that we have constant dependence, and we're meant to have constant dependence and insufficiency, we're reminded of that, and we're to come to Him for dependency. When I think of like my role as a father, one of my roles as a father of my children is to get to where they're not dependent on me anymore, right? That's kind of the goal, is to 
to make them so that they're independent, able to control their own lives. But our relationship with God is actually quite the opposite, is that God is most honored when we are more dependent on Him. So maturity in Christ is being dependent more and more on God, not less. To not do it on our own, but to do it more and more dependent daily upon Him. So uh, the title of today's message is really just part two of last week's, The Prayer That Changed the World. I stole that title from Al Mohler, who has a great little book, Walking Through the Lord's Prayer. I'd recommend it to you. So I just stole his title, just in fairness, to cite my sources, his little book. I just thought that was a great um, explanation of this prayer that has so transformed human beings and churches and communities and actually has ripple effects. The praying of this prayer in genuine, in, from a genuine transformed heart for Christ has impacted the world. It has literally changed the world the words that are prayed here. So we're going to go through seven categories of need that I think this prayer reveals to us. And at the same time, while we pray those seven categories of need, God is delighted to answer and supply with sufficiency what we need. So we'll bring in many other scriptures related to each of these phrases. We'll go quickly like we did with the Beatitudes. Um, And so we won't be able to dive deep into each one. You could do a whole sermon series. Maybe at some time we'll do a whole sermon series where there's a sermon dedicated to each phrase. But for today, we're just going to kind of get the category in our heads and then we're going to spend some time at the end praying. So let's start at the beginning of the prayer in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. This is what you need. This is the prayer God's inclined to answer. And so it starts with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So that's who we're directing this prayer to, is the the omniscient being who wants to be known primarily as Father. And what this tells us then is that what we most need is adoption. We need a Father who's in heaven. We need to become a child of God. So when Jesus is saying, your Father knows what you need, therefore pray, our Father who are in heaven, Father in heaven. So our greatest need then, our, our greatest need then is to become a child of God. Ephesians 2.3 tells us that we are by nature, we're born children of wrath. We're born against this God, enemies of God, rebels against this God. God is our enemy. And so we need to be transferred from children of wrath into children of God. And so we come to God and in this address, we actually are making a request. May you be our father. And we have the good news of knowing that God is most delighted to adopt us in Christ. We'll look at a passage here in a second of how God does that. But Lydia, would you come here just a minute? So what God is doing is that he's inviting us to come to him like this, right? This picture of father, of the omniscient being, you can have all the, the names and all the titles that he could call us to submit to him. This is what he's asking for, right? Of, hey, come to me. And then we come and we get to talk with our daddy, our all-sufficient daddy. We get to come to him. Good job, sweetie. I knew a little cuteness would help. But I want you to think of that is what Jesus is saying, is that you approach your daddy like that. He calls you, says, hey, come here, sweetie. And then you come and you wrap your arms around him and he hears you and he loves to have you near. Your greatest need is to have a relationship with God like that, where you can draw near. And God does that for us in Christ. He loves to answer that prayer. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself. He called us to Himself as sons 
through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. He wanted to. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So before time began, God set His affections on you, desiring for you to be His child. He called you. He predestined you to be called to adoption. Adoption meaning that you were not naturally a child of God, and He called you. And He, he said, Lydia, come here. Come near, near, near to me. Whatever your name is, come near to me. And in Christ, you can come near. John 8, 42, Jesus said, If God were your father, you would love me. So how do we become a child of God? By loving Christ. By embracing him as our Lord and Savior. By, by clinging to him in faith, we become a child of God. Here's, here's what he says. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, then you would love me. For I came from God and am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So Jesus Christ was sent by God so that you might be adopted into his family. He's the one that came and got you to bring you home. So what we most need is adoption to become a child of God, and God is delighted to adopt us in Christ. So if you cling to Christ, you trust in Christ, you have been adopted. If you have not yet trusted in Christ, you can be adopted, and you can draw near to God like that, no longer with any wrath, no longer with any um, brokenness in your relationship with God, you can come to Him like that by putting your faith and trust in Christ, by no longer living as an orphan in the world, but coming near to Him. So, the very first line is full, rich meaning and deep intimacy. God is calling you to come to Him as a child. Phrase number two, hallowed be your name. So, what we learn then is that we most need to worship. We most need worship to treasure God's name. We're all worshiping something in some way, whether that's money or ourselves or security or happiness. We all have something that consumes our minds that we prize above everything else. And here in this prayer, we're calling for, we're asking God to hallow his name. And in that prayer, we're saying, God, may your name be of supreme importance to me. May it be treasured above everything, your honor and your glory, more than security and safety and comfort more than prestige, more than any other thing, may your name be the top priority, your, your fame, your renown, your character. And what God is most delighted to do is that those who will pray that God would make them a worshiper, a treasurer of His name, He is delighted to transform our hearts in Christ, to rearrange our affections, to change us from seeking our own fame and renown and hallowing to now seeking His fame and how free we are when we no longer have to make a name for ourselves. We make a name for Him. We always are naturally inclined to make a name for ourselves and we're often inclined to use God's name in vain in a way that doesn't treasure Him. Some around the world have never even heard His name. They can't hallow in what they have not yet heard. And so to pray this genuinely is to renounce your own name-building. God, may I decrease and you increase. I don't live and work and play for my own benefit, but for your glory. May it be your name that, I, that is on my lips every morning. May it be your name that I'm thinking about as I go to bed. God, hallow your name in me and in the relationships that I'm a part of and in the world that I live in. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is it. If you get one thing, 
It should be this. And I think that's the first petition in the prayer. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name in me. In me. Make your name treasured in me. John 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and there's debates that the Samaritans and the Jewish people had had about worship and all these different things. And so Jesus, when He approaches the woman, there then becomes this spiritual debate about what worshiping God looks like and which mountain, and Jesus cuts right through it. Listen to what He says to the woman at the well. He said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, those that hallow and treasure God's name, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth, from the heart. From the heart. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. He'll tell us how to pray and how to worship. And then Jesus says, I who speak to you am He. He's the one that will show us what worshiping the Father looks like and how to pray to Him. And He does that right here in this passage. good to know someone's listening. It's good to know that. So what we most need is worship, to treasure God's name, for Him to be number one in our hearts, right? And God is delighted to answer that by transforming our hearts with affections for Him. We don't have to muster that up. We come to Him going, God, I don't love you as I ought. Will you give me a love for you? And He's delighted to say yes. He'll do that. He'll do that through Christ. In fact, that's what the woman on the well was taught, right? is that I'm the one that will bring that. I will teach you all things about how to worship this God. I will bring that. You don't have to come up with that yourself. I will bring that if you'll come to me. Romans 10, 13 through 16, talking about this name that can save, this name that should be hallowed, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then do they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, those who tell of the name, God's holy name. Going, if you call on this name, the name of Jesus, then God will become your Father, and you'll know Him. And so to pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, is the call that, Lord, I want everyone in the world to come to know you. I want you to be hallowed in my life, but I don't want to just hallow you alone. I want to gather with other people. I want you to be hallowed in our church. I want you to be hallowed to the nations. I want you to be hallowed in this neighborhood. And so it's a call to evangelism. It's a call to missions. Because I'm not content in just worshiping God alone. I want to worship Him with other people. And so that's part of the call there is for God's name to be hallowed in me, in us, and in the whole world. The third, the third line is your kingdom come. And what we learn by praying this is that we most need leadership to belong to a better kingdom. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, then we know that God is most delighted to give us a kingdom in Christ. In fact, while we were still sinners, Christ came to us, right? While we were not even seeking another kingdom, Christ came and brought a better kingdom. We are called to a better kingdom. Here's some news for you, is that you are not qualified to rule your own life. You're not that good at it. <laughs> you, no human king or kingdom will work out either. We have all kinds of Old Testament history and world history to show that no fallen human king, no kingdom has lasted. None of them have been truly just. None of them have, have, have been immune to corruption. And yet, we're calling for a better kingdom. We belong to a better king in a better kingdom. So we surrender our rights. In a sense, this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, is like an oath 
of allegiance to a king. We've been conquered by this king, and it's the best news in the world. I've been dethroned, I've been put to death, and now I am under the rule of another king. And he is so much better than I was, right? His kingdom is so much better. God's kingdom is God's people, those who pledge allegiance to him, under his rule, in his place. That's what we have when you have the idea of the kingdom out throughout the scriptures, is God's people in, under God's rule in God's place. And so when we pray this, we're praying, God, that you would make the whole world your kingdom, where your rules apply, where your rule, your reign, your provision, your protection is felt, and that we are your people. May everybody pledge allegiance, surrender to this king, and come under new management. And God is most delighted to answer that prayer. So when we pray, Father, let your kingdom come, we should mean, and we do mean, Father, rule in my life and be my king. Call the shots. Get the victory over my anxiety about life's necessities. God, come and rule my life. Be my protector, my provider, my ruler. Matthew 4.17, Jesus comes and his sermon is basically this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus brings a kingdom. That's the promise. Is that he is answering this prayer of your kingdom coming. It has come and is coming in Christ. And will come in its fullness when Christ returns. I love what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock. Just really tender. Fear not. Relax. Little flock. In a big, scary world. Little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. You don't have to make the kingdom happen on your own. We don't build the kingdom. We're given the kingdom. And it says, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves to give you the kingdom. Therefore, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. you got a king looking out for you, so you don't have to try to manage (laughs) everything. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure that's in the heavens that does not fall away, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure this name. And you will prove to be in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, you don't have to be anxious. In fact, that's what's going to come right next in chapter 6. Is that we don't need to live with anxiety. Because if we've prayed this prayer, we've come under this king, then we don't have to be anxious. We can trust in him because his borders are secure. His rule is good. He is just. He is right. He is pure. His kingdom is satisfying. And it is the Father's good pleasure to give it to us. So, we pray for it because it's already given to us. The next plea then in this first set that really focuses on God and His glory, we have this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this request, we learn that we most need obedience. We need to be conformed. We need to have our wills submitted to a better will. Your will gets you in all kinds of trouble, does it not? Our wills have been corrupted by sin. When we get what we want, sometimes that's the worst thing in the world for us, right? You know that, those of you that have kids. If you gave your kid everything they wanted, if their wills were just completely unchecked, their life would be a disaster. And you're not a whole lot better, are you? If you got everything you wanted, it would be a bad thing. And so, Lord, I need a new wanter. I need a different wanter. My wanter is corrupted by sin. And so, Lord, bring me into compliance. Bring me to want what you want, to will what you will, to obey what you command, to believe that what you say is better than what I say, what you think is better than what I think. Our wills are are corrupted. We want the wrong things. We need a new wanter. 
and we need our wanter to point in the direction that God's wanter points and to delight in doing His will. So God, when we pray, our will be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we mean may that be done in me first and then us and the whole world. May the whole world be conformed to the goodness of your will, obeying you. Here's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. In light of all of these gospel truths that he talks about in the first 11 chapters, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Submit your whole will to him. Holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, new thinking, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So the will of God that we're to conform our lives to is something that comes through testing, comes through difficulty, comes through challenge, comes through community. As we, as we see the answer to this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it works out in our life, it's not going to be an easy thing because our will dies hard, right? But it's going to be worked out together. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, All right? Just very clearly. Maybe you've been asking, what's the will of God? Well, here you go. You got one verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You be made holy. You become an obedient child. You want to know what God's will for your life is? He's far less concerned about where you live and what job you'll take and, and uh, who you'll marry and all that kind of stuff. He's concerned about those. We should seek those things. Those are not unimportant. But the supreme will of God's life for you is that you would be holy, that you would be obedient, that you would be conformed to His will. And here we pray it on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God's will is obeyed perfectly May that be true on earth as well and in me. Now we move from the petitions that are focused on God to now the petitions that are focused on our needs. So the next petition then is give us this day our daily bread. We learn in this petition that what we most need is provision. We need to be physically dependent on God daily. I think because we're supposed to pray just for our daily needs, the assumption is that we're communing with God every day that we're praying this every day. We have an example of this in the Old Testament. God gave them manna for one day. He didn't give them a year's worth of manna and then go, hey, manage it well, I'll see you in a year. No, I want you to come to me every day. As long as it's called today, you come and you ask. And I'm not promising you more than what you need for today. Some of us are so anxious and stressed because we want God to give us the next 25 years right now, right? God never promised that. In fact, he calls us to pray to daily dependence. Daily dependence. So sometimes we get frustrated with God because He's not keeping promises that He never made to us. He promised to care for us today and to do that intentionally. And the good news is that God is most delighted to be our provision, even our physical provision in Christ. Also, you, have to, you kind of look at some of the older commentaries. The newer ones don't talk about this, but I thought this was insightful. It doesn't say, give us this day bread. It says, give us this day our bread our daily bread, which some of the older kind of Christians and theologians have inferred from this that this is something that we actually work for. Give us this day our bread. It's not give me this day Kathy's bread, right? But give us this day our bread, the bread we've worked for, right? So we're seeing that our working, our earning is also God's gift, but we're not just wanting to be lazy. There's no call to be lazy. Does that make sense? So we actually see the supply chain as a gift from God, and we pray for it. And we pray for our labor, God, that I would get 
what, I would, what I've rightfully earned, but I see it as a gift from you. So it's not a call to laziness or handouts or stealing as if God were going to supply by robbing someone else. Don't say, give us this day just bread, wherever that may come, but give us this day our daily bread, the bread that we've worked for, that we've earned. But yet we still see it as a gift. So God's undeserved grace and our efforts are not at odds with each other here. Also, it assumes that we're going daily to God in prayer. We're expecting manna on the ground every day. We see contentment in this prayer. We see daily dependence on God. As Americans, we often want the next 10 years of bread. And Jesus has a parable warning about that in Luke chapter 12, where a man has, he builds barns, and then his harvest is so plentiful that he builds bigger barns. And then what gets him in trouble is that he says, soul, you may relax because you have taken care of yourself. And then God puts him to death that night. He goes, you fool. Your whole aim was to move away from the Lord's Prayer to where you no longer had to pray, give us this day our daily bread. What an idolatrous, sinful thing to go, I want to be so secure that I no longer need to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, that I no longer need to come to God for daily needs. What an awful, sinful, wicked thing that offends God for us to pursue. So, so, so we have this tension here of wanting to work and seeing work as a gift and also at the same time, not allowing our work or our prosperity now to cause us to no longer need God. Let me give you a prayer in Psalm or Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Listen to this prayer. See if you could pray this with honesty. Two things I, I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you hear that? Do we pray that? Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. God, I know my heart. And if I am too secure, I won't pray. And I'll prove to not be a believer because I'm trusting in me, right? At the same time, don't put me in a position of poverty where I might be tempted to take something that's not mine, right? So God, keep me rightly dependent. Oh, we need to be careful. I'm not trying to lay down any law here. I'm just trying to lay out the scriptures here. And I think even in the Lord's Prayer, it's not give us this day our weekly bread or monthly bread or yearly, but daily, God, I'm going to call for you to provide for me today. As if that isn't convicting enough, think of what James chapter 2 says. Verses 14 through 17. And I think James is actually thinking about what his brother actually taught here. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 2. I think within his mind, this prayer that we're supposed to pray, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can a faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, daily bread, if I have a brother who I assume is also praying with me, give us this day our daily bread, and I could be the answer to his prayer, and I'm not, Here's what he says. And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and well-filled. Just keep praying, my brother. Without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a reason that it says, give us this day our daily bread, is that I'm looking out for my brothers and sisters too, right? So if I have what I need, and a brother that I've, I've prayed, give us our daily bread, and I could be the answer to that prayer, and I don't. I'm not a Christian. I'm not 
my heart's not been transformed, right? I didn't mean the prayer, right? So it's just a very careful thing here. That kind of faith is a dead faith. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our bread, and then having bread, not care for the brother who is lacking bread. I think that's, according to James, evidence that perhaps there isn't a true faith there, that we might be lying in our prayer. And so this call, give us this day our daily bread, is full of all kinds of meaning. We could, we could spend another hour or two just like, what does that look like for God to provide for us? And what does a right provision look like for each one of us? And I don't know the answer to all that, but I do know that the Scripture says something very clearly that we are to depend on Him daily for our needs. So we have a need for provision, and God is pleased to be our provision in Christ. The next one, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so what we most need is pardon, to be forgiven forgivers. To be forgiven of our sins and also forgiven in such a way that we now become forgivers, right? We talked some about that last week. And the good news is that God is delighted to forgive forgivers in Christ. Those two are tied together. Those are not divorced from each other because we actually are supposed to pray, God, forgive us our debts, present tense, as we also have, past tense, forgiven our debtors. So if you can just imagine, here's what, here's what uh, well, we could go to Matthew chapter 7, just the very next chapter. And it says, judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you will be measured to you. So, if you can imagine, essentially to pray this prayer honestly is, God, would you please forgive me to the extent that I forgive others and no more? Right? Well, that's scary, right? (laughs) Whoa. I need to come to Christ and be the kind of forgiver that I could with genuineness, go, God, the same quality and quantity of forgiveness that I give to others, give me that. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from the 1800s, says, if you do not forgive, then you read your own death warrant when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? God, I want you to forgive me to the measure that I forgive others. And so there's this call to deep transformation of forgiveness that isn't just for me, but it's for others too. Jesus has many parables about that. So essentially, we come to God and say, God, give us exactly the quantity and quality of forgiveness that we give to others. Amen. To be forgiven forgivers. And God is delighted to transform us in that. So don't, don't be afraid. Be, be convicted by that. But don't be afraid because Christ gives you all the power for that. Christ gives you, you come to Him and He will do that. But that's how His work comes through is that forgivers become Forgiven, become forgivers. And then the next and last phrase, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We realize that we most need protection. We need to be holy. We are tempted to wander. We are tempted to fall into evil. And we need God's protection. We need God's direction. And God is most delighted to be our purifying protector in Christ. That the tough things that we do go through, the temptations and trials that do come, we can trust in our Father that He's going to use them for our good. That he's not going to lead us somewhere where we're going to end up in spiritual ruin. This has both spiritual and physical ruin in mind, I think. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So this is the prayer for protection, not just spiritually but physically as well. And it reminds us of our weakness and our vulnerability. That we are prone to wander, Lord we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And unless he holds us fast, we would never be able to hold on to him. We need His grace to hold us. We need Him to direct us. 
We don't trust ourselves that much. God uses trials to strengthen and authenticate us. The evil one uses trials to weaken and destroy us. And so, God, would you please not put me under the, under the influence of the evil one? May whatever difficulty and temptation I come into be used of you to strengthen and authenticate me as a true believer. And may it not be used by the evil one to weaken or destroy my faith. God, would you lead me in that way? I can't do it myself. I need you to complete the work in me that you've started. James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Again, James, I think, thinking about what his brother said in this very phrase. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. God will answer this prayer. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. My biggest enemy is not out there. My biggest enemy is in here. It's my own sin nature. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, has given birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Quite the image there of conception, birth, and death, right? And it starts in my heart. And so this prayer is, God, deliver me from the evil, or some translations say the evil one, meaning Satan. But also at the same time, like my own heart, according to James, my own sin nature can be used of the evil one to ruin me. And so God, please keep me from sin. Make me holy. Keep me from evil. So as we walk through those seven needs that we have and those seven things that God is delighted to supply, answers He's happy to supply. We can kind of put it all on one screen right here. And here's what we find, is that putting it all together, we most need adoption to become a child of God. Every human being in the world most needs to worship and treasure God's name. Leadership to belong to a better kingdom. Obedience to submit to a better will. Provision to be physically dependent daily on our Father. And not to begrudge that when He puts us in positions where we actually need Him. That's His kindness. That's answering prayer. Is sometimes he peels things out of our hands so that we'll learn to love him more and trust him more. Pardon to be forgiven forgivers and protection to be holy, to be holy for the rest of our lives, increasingly sanctified. So those are our needs, and Jesus calls us to pray our needs. God has a better idea of what we need than we do. Let me just go ahead and give you a template on what you need to be praying. And the good news is, is that on the next slide we see that God is most delighted to answer exactly these prayers. Oh, that's such good news. That Jesus gives us both what we need and how we can get our needs met in Christ. See the end of each one of those phrases? God is most delighted to adopt us in Christ, to transform our hearts in Christ, to bring a perfect kingdom in Christ, to conform us to His perfect will in Christ, to be our provision in Christ, to forgive forgivers in Christ, and to be our purifying protector in Christ. Do you see how it works? Jesus is there telling us how to pray to our Father, and He's the key. He's the answer to it. Here's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why through Him we utter our amen, our prayer, to God for His glory. You hear that? Let me read it again. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, Jesus. That is why, 
Through him, praying in his name, we utter our amen to God for his glory. Oh, that makes perfect sense. The Lord's Prayer is all about finding salvation in Jesus. It's all about repentance. It's all about turning from my world and what matters the most to me and trusting in faith in a God who will provide everything that I need. Do you see repentance and faith? Leave my kingdom, leave my will, leave my own trusting in myself, my own abilities to fight sin. Like I'm leaving all of that and I'm putting all of my trust in Christ. John 14, 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I think he has this kind of stuff in mind. Pray this stuff in my name. And given, given time, and in eternity, God will answer these prayers. So, the prayer that we most need to pray is this prayer. And the prayer that God is most delighted to answer is this prayer. And so, therefore, we should pray it and pray like it. Right? God, would you be pleased to adopt me in your son? To give me a new heart, a new will, a new desire. God, would you give me my needs? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you lead me away from the things that would ruin me? Would you deliver me from, from evil? Why? Because I'm an orphan in and of myself. I lack the ability to follow you on my own. I sin and I don't forgive. I stray from you into temptation and I get stuck by the evil one. And so I'm trusting in you, my Father, because you're the only one who can meet my needs. And by God's grace in Christ, He does meet our needs. Christ came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and pray like this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So let's just take a couple minutes on each one of these and pray. I'm going to give you just a minute. There's just something up on the screen, and we'll just go phrase by phrase, just taking a minute to pray on each one. And I'll offer a prayer at each one so you'll know when we're done and transition to the next one. But now let's move. Let's actually, maybe for some of you, you've never actually truly prayed the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've recited it in church before, but you've never from the heart prayed this. Oh, man, you might be becoming a Christian. <laughs> if you pray this prayer from the heart, you're transferring from the kingdom of darkness to his to the kingdom of His Son. Like, this is a, a prayer for sinners. And maybe you've been praying this your whole life. I'll pray it again. With greater intensity, greater honesty, let's pray through this together. So, let's take one minute and just pray our Father in heaven. Let us pray that God would be my Father, our Father, through Christ. So, pray both for yourself and for those in this room that God would genuinely be our Father, that He would adopt us. So, would you pray Oh God, would you, 
Would you draw us near as a father? Would you be calling every single person in this room to draw near to you in Christ as a father? Lord, I I pray that every single person in here could say those words, our Father in heaven, and it be entirely true. So Lord, would you do your adopting work right now for those that have never trusted in Christ or still children of wrath outside of your family, an enemy of God. I pray that right now you would call them and they would come and they would embrace you as Father. And those of us that have called you for Father maybe for many years, may we just be refreshed in and encouraged and calmed by just how near you are to us. May we just enjoy wrapping our arms around our daddy, having his arms wrapped around us and just drawing near. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's also pray, hallowed be your name. Let us pray that God's name would be hallowed in me, in us, and in the whole world. I love what Don Carson says, in a way to pray, hallowed be your name, is to pray, make me holy. Grant that I, we, and the whole world reverence you. Work in me and in other men so that we will acknowledge your unsurpassed and glorious holiness always. So just take a moment, one minute right now, to just pray, God, may your name be holy in me, us, and the world. Oh, Father, we pray that you would transform our hearts from idolatry of other things, other things that mean more to us than you and your name. You would forgive us of that treason and that you would transform us to have a genuine affection and love for who you are, your name, all of your names. Lord, may we never take your name in vain. And Lord, may we be quick to speak your name with reverence so that others may see the beauty of your name and come to treasure it themselves. God, make us witnesses of your great name and may our witness make sense because not only do we say that your name means the most to us, but it actually looks like it when they see our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray now for God's kingdom to come, your kingdom come. Let us pray that God's kingdom would come in me and in us and indeed the whole world.
Father, we, we pray that you would send your kingdom. We thank you for sending your kingdom in Christ, that it has already come. And in another sense, it is still coming and will come ultimately in its fullest sense. So Lord, help us to grasp that more and more of what it looks like that your kingdom has already come, is present, and is yet still coming. And help us to live in that kingdom under a new king. Help us to see you as a king, not just as an advisor or a co-pilot or a counselor, but as a king. And may we be honored to serve the king, to depend on the king, to trust the king for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's now pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That all of the obedience and joy in doing God's will in heaven would be our experience here on earth. Oh, Father, we ask that what you want would be what we would want, and what you will would be what we will. God, I pray that you'd start in my heart, that would be a marker of our church, that that would be increasingly so a marker of, of the world, that Christianity would grow and people would see your rules, your ways as not stifling, but as freeing. Lord, change our perspective, change our minds on things, transform us, help us not to be conformed to the world's ways of thinking, but transformed by the renewing of our minds so that by testing, we might know what the will of God is, what, what is good and pleasing and perfect. God, start with me, start with us, and may that have a spillover effect. And we look forward to the day when that will be reality. And it will be weird to think back to a time when your will was defied. So we long for that day, Lord, when all things will be on earth as they are in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Just a few more. Let's pray for our daily provisions. Let's pray that God would give us this day our daily bread. Pray that I, we, the whole world would look to God daily for provision. And like the Proverbs 30, not too much lest we be tempted to not trust in you, not too little lest we be tempted to steal. Lord, give us exactly what you believe to be best for us. Let's pray that.
Father, we thank you that you are a God who has everything, that owns everything, and is willing to provide for your children. Lord, I pray that you would calibrate our hearts, that we would be content with what you have given us, to not be covetousness, to not be um, ungrateful, as we can read the Israelites were in the Old Testament grumbling over the fact that you were feeding them in the desert. And you discipline them so severely because it's such an offense to you. And yet, Lord, we probably do the same thing every day. So, Lord, help us to be content with what you've given, to not desire things that you've not given us because they might not be good for us. So, Lord, help us to trust that you're daily providing for our needs, not just for food, but for shelter and for clothes, all the needs that we have. Help us to be content in that. Help us also at the same time to not use this prayer as any sort of laziness, to not to work hard, but not to trust in our work, but to trust that our ability to work and the things that we earn are actually gifts from you, that the whole system of being able to care for ourselves is under your oversight and could be wrecked in a moment if you were to stop sustaining it. We ourselves would be wrecked if we did not sustain that. And help us at the, all, at the same time, Lord, to care well for our brothers and sisters, that we would pray and not just give me my daily bread, but that we would have a genuine concern for the hour of the prayer. And that maybe we might be the way that you answer a prayer for someone else. As it says, I think in one of the Thessalonians, work hard so that you will have something to share. God, may that mark ours to help us. Give us what we need and help us to trust in you and not to trust in provisions or security. And help us to be generous and share. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pray. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So pray that I, we, the whole world would forgive and be forgiven. We live in a cancel culture. (laughs) Forgiveness is so sweet now because people are so starved for it. So pray. Pray that forgiveness would be the sweetness that our world is longing for and they would find it in Christ and they would experience it through us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we plead for your forgiveness. God, we thank you that because of what Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection, that there is plenty of atonement, plenty of atonement for all sin. There's plenty of grace for even the vilest of sinners in this room. You are not stingy. You don't, you don't, you're not cheap. You're not lacking in forgiveness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us God, maybe some in here who've never been forgiven of their sins, we pray that they would experience it now. And I pray, God, that those who have been forgiven would feel forgiven. That you would grant not just the legal transaction of forgiveness, but the freedom and joy of actually knowing and feeling forgiven. So, Lord, would you do that to us and for us? Help us look to you for that kind of security through Christ and help 
Help us, Lord, at the same time to know that every sin that has been done to us will be dealt with by you, either in hell or on the cross. And so we need not bear the burden of vengeance. We need not carry the sins that have been done to us upon ourselves. That We can cast them on Christ. We can trust your good providence. And Lord, while trusting that often justice needs to be done, that it doesn't need to be me that brings about vengeance or make or squares accounts that we can trust in a heavenly Father who will make sure that everything is done rightly. So God, help us to then loosen our grip on keeping score, on getting even, and we would trust in a good God who has provided a way to deal with sin on the cross or in hell, and so we don't have to bear that. So make us forgiven forgivers. For Christ's sake and for your glory, amen. Last prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray that I, we, the whole world would be delivered from sin and temptation and that we would be made holy. So pray one more time with me from the heart. finally, Father, we pray that you would direct our lives in such a way that you would keep us from the places and situations and people even that might bring ruin into our life, that might cause us to turn away from you, to do things that would be displeasing to you. Lord, we don't trust ourselves. We don't see all that's going on. We can justify and self-deceive ourselves right to death. And so we ask that you would kindly, gently, maybe at times severely redirect us from the things that we can't see, that we don't know, that we're not strong enough to handle in our own strength. So Lord, help us to be honest about our sin and our temptations. Help us to be open with each other about where we struggle and our failures so that we might help each other. God, keep us from temptation. Keep us from falling into sin. Keep us from bringing Uh, reproach and criticism to the church and to your name or deliver us from that which would seek to destroy us and keep us only in those places where we might be strengthened and authenticated that even the trials would come would only serve to strengthen us that every device of satan would only make us stronger and would only make us more vibrant in our faith and more public in our witness. So Lord, we pray that you would always turn every single trial and temptation and act of evil for good in us and in our community. And ultimately, we thank you for the promise that you will do that for the whole world. And so we trust in you. And God, help us to find all of these resources by putting our trust in Christ and drawing near His Father. I pray that in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.